Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. You have your copy of God's Word if you'll turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, uh, we're going to continue in our series, Mission Possible, out of the book of Nehemiah. And uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you, and then we're going to go to the Nehemiah and read. Um, and I want to read a passage of scripture to you out of Matthew chapter 6, and a very familiar verse of scripture to you. How many know the Lord's Prayer that's mentioned in Matthew 6? You've read it many times, but I want to read that to you tonight, and then there's a passage there I want to focus on, and then we're going to go back and read Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. But uh, in Matthew chapter 6, and starting in verse 9, and actually, well, verse 8, therefore do not be unlikened, uh, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you even ask. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from Eve, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, say kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want you to look at verse 10. It says, your, king, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. I got a little bit of ringing, just a little bit. And uh, now if you turn over the book of Nehemiah chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. Now, in the book of Nehemiah, uh, we have gone through the first few verses, and, and uh, uh, Sunday I preached uh, on Nehemiah, and we ended talking about prayer. But uh, we have the five uh, spiritual principles of spiritual competence, and a couple of weeks ago, I talked about sharing Jesus regularly, and then the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about, am I spending time with God? Am I spending time with God? Spiritual confidence, spiritual maturity comes out of our time we spend with God. To be victorious in our Christian life, we must have a prayer life. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We must have a prayer life. We must be spending time with God and uh, uh, spending our time with God. There are many prayer models in the scripture that we can learn from. But what I, what I want to talk about is a little bit... Uh, Sunday, I ended the sermon talking a little bit about what happens when we pray. And we talked about when we pray, prayer does three things to us. And uh, uh, we said that what prayer does to us when we pray is that, number one, we acknowledge the sovereignty of God. There's a humility that comes when we pray. It's the posture of prayer. It's one of the postures of prayer is humility. We come before God with humility and we also unburdened our heart. That is what Nehemiah did. He was unburdening his heart. Uh, when we pray, uh, what prayer does for us, it allows us to unburden our heart. It allows us to release the burden that is in our heart. Number two, what it does, it allows us to see ourselves as we are. I said that when you pray, all of a sudden, God begins to put his finger on areas of our life and we begin to see ourselves as we are. Because in prayer, there's no showmanship. In prayer, you can't hide from God. 
In prayer, you can't pretend to be something that you're not. As did Jacob realize when God, when he wrestled with God, he said, I will not let you go till you bless me. But God says, before I bless you, what is your name? In other words, he had Jacob come to the terms with the fact of who he really was. What was he? He was a deceiver. He had deceived his brother out of his birthright. But until he came to the realization of who he was, God could not move forward in his life. What prayer does, it allows us to see ourselves as we really are. And thirdly, what prayer does, it allows God's design to be put inside of us. It allows God to interwoven his will into our lives. When we begin to pray, our will begins to die and his will begins to come alive in our life. How many are thankful that you don't have to put your trust in you? You can go to a God who has planned your life. You can seek him and he will instruct you on how to operate in your life. And so that's what happens when we pray. But I want us to read this, a few passages of scripture here. I want you to see this in Nehemiah. This is very humbling. This is a man that uh, had been crushed by the news that his homeland was in distress. Uh, Nehemiah felt this call of God on his life, and he, 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 was, he felt God's moving in his life. And beginning the verse, he began to go to the Lord in prayer. Every situation in our life that comes, we, we, we sometimes we, we don't spend enough time praying and asking God for an answer. And if we learn to pray, God will be faithful to communicate to us his will for our lives. Nehemiah took this posture of humility, verse 5, and it said, And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe you, your commandments. What's he doing? He's, the first thing that he's doing is acknowledging the sovereignty of God. He's unburdening his heart. He's acknowledging God's sovereignty, who God is. God can never work in our life until we give him the throne of our hearts, until we acknowledge that he is king of kings and lord of lords over our lives and over the thrones of our heart. He goes on to say in verse 6, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. Now you see the habit of his prayer. The habit is he's before the Lord day and night. In other words, this is not just a one-time thing for Nehemiah. He is before the Lord. He is bringing this before the Lord. He has a pattern of prayer. He has a habit of prayer that he's bringing before the Lord. And he comes before the Lord, and he says, I pray day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you, both in my father's house and I, and, and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the, the commandments, the statutes, or the ordinance in which you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, through, through some of you, uh, some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of the heavens. Yet I will gather them from there and bring them again to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, and you have redeemed who you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, I pray, please, 
Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants and who desire, who fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was, for I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah's praying. He's gone to God. He's wanting an answer of what, how he can be a part to be the answer to what is happening that the walls of Jerusalem, the boundaries have been broken down, the fabric of Israel has been destroyed, and he's asking God, he wants to play a part, he's asking God, what part can I play? Now the Bible tells us in the first part of this chapter that this was in the month, uh, uh, the Jewish month, uh, which would be our December, and it's not to the beginning of chapter 2 that God answers him, and which is four months later. Nehemiah is praying this prayer daily for four months. So there's this prayer, this practice of prayer that's going on in Nehemiah's life. This pattern of prayer. There's many great truths that are in this prayer. If you will study this prayer, read it, and begin to study it as a devotional, I believe God will show you some great insights in prayer. Matter of fact, we're going to look at some of that in the couple weeks, in the next couple weeks, because it shows us how to pray. Sometimes we need just a little bit of encouragement in how to pray. Uh, just like Jesus' disciples, he came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. What did Jesus do? He gave them a pattern of prayer. And this is your pattern of prayer. And so he taught them, he showed them, he taught them how to pray. Now when we begin to look at Nehemiah, uh, as I said, not only uh, in prayer do we uh, uh, see what happens in prayer and what God does for us, as I mentioned. But the second thing we see when we're in prayer, why do we pray? Why do we pray? We pray because prayer is primary in our life. Nothing happens until we pray. Nothing happens until we seek God. God can do nothing until we put our trust in him through prayer. And so why do we pray? Nehemiah chapter 1, what we begin to see as Nehemiah prayed, it prompted him into action. In other words, he didn't just pray, but he stepped into action after he prayed. In other words, he prayed, God spoke to him, and then he did the answer or the action in which God spoke to him. It's one thing to pray, but prayer always has an action that follows it. Prayer always has a responsibility that follows it and an action that is required. But let's talk about why we pray. Number one, we pray because... Uh, 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 we pray, and while we pray, uh, we pray because prayer at times makes us wait. It's amazing how prayer sometimes builds patience in us. Prayer builds uh, a, a way of waiting until God moves in our life. Prayer forces us to take our situation and put it at the feet of Jesus and put it at the feet of God until God moves. God teaches us to wait in prayer. Part of understanding the prayer life and understanding how to pray is understanding that sometimes God has us wait and we wait on God during times of prayer. He, in other words, we pray until we have, here's, here's two instructions that will help you. Continue to pray until God gives you peace. If you're praying about something, pray until you have peace about it. Peace is a path that leads us to God's will. And so when you pray, continue to pray until you feel peace about it. The old timers used to call it praying through. 
In other words, you prayed through until you had peace about what you were praying for. That peace will come in your spirit. You'll know it. If you pray, you know that sometimes the burden of prayer, what you're praying for, can be heavy. But if you take it to the Lord in prayer, you can pray, and when you have peace about it, you know that the Lord has heard your prayer, and you have a peace that God is going to answer the petition in which you've asked, but also understand that prayer comes at times God teaches us to wait in times of prayer. Sometimes God will answer a prayer immediately. Sometimes we have to wait. And God teaches us trust when we wait on him. We trust him. We're teaching him to trust. If God is truly sovereign, if God is truly on the throne, then every day we wait for answered prayer, we are learning to put our trust in God. And sometimes we have to wait a little longer to get an answered prayer. Sometimes there's spiritual warfare that is involved. But we know this, that God answers prayer. Number two, why do we pray? Because prayer will clear your vision. Prayer will make your vision clear. Not only does prayer, why we pray, because God teaches us how to wait. He teaches us how to be patient. But we pray because uh, prayer clears your vision. Uh, I've noticed living here in Indiana and living on this hilltop, and as I come up 256 from where we live at times in the fall or the spring, uh, uh, there'll be a lot of fog that's out early on a Saturday morning or work morning. I mean, it's dense fog. I mean, it's thick fog around here. And uh, matter of fact, I got killed about three years ago down here at the corner of 256 and Clifty. I was coming... Uh, up 256. It was a Sunday morning. I was on my way to church, and when I, it was very hard to see. When I got to the light, I realized the light was green, and I was getting ready to go, and just as I went through, a semi-truck barreled down through and ran that red light there. He didn't see it because of the fog. He didn't have no idea there was going to be a red light there, and I hit my brakes. I'm telling you, I was about a half a second or, or a half uh, a second or so away from seeing Jesus. I about knocked me into the rapture. And, uh, and uh, I thank God my heart was beating. I was sweating. I was like, Lord Jesus. I mean, I was like, uh, but that fog, it was because of that fog. And what happens is sometimes we go to prayer because there, our vision is fogged. We don't have understanding in a situation. But what happens is that that fog gets lifted when, when the Spirit of God begins to burn off that fog, when the sunlight of the sun begins to shine on that fog, it burns off and it burns through and we're able to face that situation. That fogginess is cleared. Prayer helps that fogginess to lift in our life. Prayer gives us clarity of vision. It gives us clarity of where our direction is and where God wants to take us. There's a clarity that comes. And maybe some of you say, well, I've been praying about praying about this. You know, you just got to keep praying and say, God, clear my vision that I might see clearly. Burn off the fog. Burn off the distraction. Burn off the things that cause me not to see clearly. And so we pray because we have to have clear vision. That's why we pray. We pray because God teaches us to wait and teaches us to trust in Him. Thirdly, we pray because... Uh, um, uh, we pray because it, it uh, quiets my heart. In other words, prayer will quiet the anxiety of my heart. You spend time in prayer when you are anxious, when you are 
uh, when you're struggling, if you will go pray, I don't know how many times I've had struggling with something or heavy burden, would go in prayer and God would quieten in my heart. In other words, he would remove the anxiety. He would remove the depression. And when I spend time with God and release that to him, he begins to quiet my heart. He begins to uh, bring rest to that conflict that is in me. Understand this about anxiety. Anxiety is really uh, unresolved conflict in our life. So whatever that unresolved conflict is, that's what brings on anxiety. It could be, it could be conflict with God. I mean, no, we can have conflict with God. We can have anxiety in our relationship with God. Depression is anger turned inward. That's what depression is. So when we go to God in prayer, he can quieten our heart. He can reveal to us uh, depression is anger that we have turned inward toward ourselves. It's regret or it's unforgiveness of ourselves. It's a, it's a, you know, maybe there's something we cannot release in ourselves, but what happens is we pray because God wants to quiet the anxiety and quiet the worry and quiet the heaviness that comes in our heart. Prayer will release you. Prayer will set you free. Prayer will bring a peace upon us and a calmness in our life. That's what prayer can do. Number four, prayer. Why do we pray? Because prayer, when we pray, prayer activates our faith. It activates your faith. Prayer will activate you. You don't need a prophet to lay hands on you to activate you. Though I don't mind being prayed for by people who are prophets. You don't need a pastor to lay hands on you. Though there's nothing wrong with a pastor laying hands on you. Activation in your life will come through a life of prayer. That activates faith in your life. Now listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, God's word builds our faith. Y'all hearing me? His word builds our faith because his word is, is instruction, encouragement. It builds us. It edifies us. It strengthens us. It gives us precedence. How many are thankful we got precedence for victory? We got precedence for the blood of Jesus. And so it builds our faith. Worship strengthens our faith. Worship will strengthen your faith. And when I say worship, I don't just mean singing. I, I mean worship, but also, how many know worship is giving? <laughs> how many know worship is serving? How many know worship can be acts of, of, of obedience? That's worship. Worship is acts of obedience. It's not what you do. It's being obedient to what God has asked you to do. Y'all with me tonight? Because that's good. I, I could preach that again. Because worship strengthens my faith. Why? Because worship, worship can be in our lives a constant even when things are not good. Because I don't worship God out of the circumstance in which where I'm living at the moment. Because there's days that are not good days, right? As a Christian. Are all your days, all y'all's days are good, right? None of y'all struggle with nothing. Right? All y'all got perfect Christian lives. <laughs> None of y'all have no battles, right? Y'all got roses. You wear roses. You know, y'all, right? Am I right? No. This is, what, this is how worship strengthens our life. 
Because like Paul said, Paul said it like this, I worship when I have much, and I worship when I don't have anything. I worship when there's victory. I worship when I'm in a battle. And what it does is when you learn to worship, regardless of what the outside circumstances are, what you've learned to do is you've learned to strengthen your faith. I know it doesn't look good right now, but that's not going to stop me from lifting up the name of Jesus and being a worshiper and faithful to the obedience of what God has asked me to do. Oh, my goodness. And what is it? Worship is consistency with God. Consistent obedience with God. That strengthens your faith. But prayer activates your faith. Because time in prayer leaves me in the posture to trust God. It leaves me in the posture to act. In other words, what does prayer do? How does prayer, how does prayer activate my faith? Because when I pray, it sets my faith on fire. That's what happens. My faith gets put on fire when I trust God. It gets activated. I'm activated. When I spend time with God and I come out of the prayer room and I come out of that place of time with God, my faith has been strengthened because he's answered me. I've heard him. I've read his word. It's strengthened me. I have found faith. I've been built. My faith's been built. My worship has strengthened my faith. Now fire falls on my faith. And I go and do and have boldness in doing what God has asked me to walk in obedience for. So prayer activates our faith. Prayer activates, sets it on fire, and activates it. When you pray, God speaks good things to you. God shows you things you have not seen. God reveals to you things that you have not seen. And so not only have we talked about uh, what faith does for us, but also why we pray. Because prayer is primary. It has to be primary in our life. I believe when we talk about living a life that's on mission, and we talk about mission possible, you can never go into any mission until you have sought the Lord, the strategy of how to win the battle. Right? How many know God's smarter than we are? Albert Smith said it like this. He said, got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible, and he does the things that others cannot do. How many are thankful God does what others cannot do? How many are thankful that God is a specialist, and sometimes we need a specialist to help us with rivers that are uncrossable and mountains that are impossible to pass? But with God of God, when we cry out to him, when we pray, when we listen, and we, he listens, and he, when he hears our request, that he hears us, and he does the impossible, and our faith gets set on fire, all we got to do is walk in obedience, and our prayer has prepared the way for us. That's what prayer does in our life. Nehemiah knew before he would go on this mission that prayer became the priority of his life. I'm pushing on this because if a church is going to be what God wants it to be, we can't do it based upon our giftings. We have to do it based on prayer. We have to be able to cross rivers that are uncrossable. We have to be able to scale mountains that are in our way, and we have to be able to look at those mountains and say to those mountains, be thou removed in the name of Jesus. 
But that's not going to become because we're good people. It's going to come from a people who realize that falling on your face before God, seeking God in honest prayer, learning how to pray, seeking Him, He will move the mountains that need to be moved. Because if we're walking the way God wants us to walk, and there's a mountain there, our responsibility is not to remove the mountain, but to trust the God who created the mountain to move the mountain. Because the mountain's in our way. Y'all hearing me? I said it's God's responsibility. If we're in obedience and we're walking the way we should, the mountain is there to keep us from getting to the other side. And our job is not to pick the mountain up in our own strength, but to call on a God that can burrow eternal right through the middle of that mountain and provide a way where man sees no way. All things are not possible with men, but all things are possible with God. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's exactly what he said. What may not look like it's possible to man, what may not look like possible to us, is possible with God. God can do it. I don't put anything out of God's reach. I don't put anything out of God's hand. If God said it, I believe it. If he wants to do it, let him do it. I'm not going to put him, put him in a box. I'm not going to channel him in to a theology or a thought or a box. I'm going to say, God, have your will. Speak to us. And until he speaks to us, we should not move. Because prayer is what moves us. Now, here's what I'm trying to go tonight. And I don't know if I'll be all the way to get there. But, but you know... Sometimes all of our experience that we have is, is, is church, church, church. Church, 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 church. That's our experience. And uh, so sometimes we approach uh, the kingdom of God, we approach life through a church filter. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And uh, uh, we filter everything through what our church experience has been. Now, some of y'all have had Baptist filters. Some of y'all have had Presbyterian filters. Some of you have had uh, Catholic filters. Some of you have had um, Assembly of God filters, Church of God filters, Methodist filters, uh, Presbyterian filters. Uh, some of y'all have had filters, uh, you know, uh, heathen filters like me. I had a heathen filter. And then I know a lot of people don't even have a filter. So, <laughs> and we know who they are, right? And, uh, but sometimes we seek life's experience through those filters. We be, but here's the danger. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's the danger. The danger comes when we begin, when we become more committed to the institution than we do the Word of God. Because where churches begin to struggle is where they become more committed to the institution by which they filter through than they do the Word of God itself. And we've got to learn that this is not just something we put a filter on, that what happens is we have to trust this book whether we understand all of it or not. And there's things about God we'll never understand. But there are some things that we have to put our faith in action, and through prayer we begin to know that. And so when we read in the New Testament, Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God, and sometimes, you know, uh, uh, you can miss a principle in the kingdom of God because you're thinking through a church filter. You're thinking through a, 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 a church filter, but there's kingdom principles that God has put in the word of God. And so sometimes we have to change that filter. 
We have to look at the Word of God and believe the Word of God. And when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about what does that mean? What does it mean when we say, when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like? What is he saying? What is he talking about? Is he talking about, uh, uh, is he talking about heaven as a place? Or is he talking about a principle? And, uh, or is, how is he speaking to us? How is he saying when he says, when he speaks of the kingdom of God? When he speaks of the kingdom of God, what he's talking about, he's talking about an extension of his rule, his authority, his kingdom, his authority in our life. That's why when Jesus said pray, he said pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying pray that I'm able to extend my rule, my authority, my dominion in the earth. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, the kingdom is, is authority. It's God's, it's God's rule. It's his, his, his rule over us. And so it's an extension of dominion. Hang with me. I'm going somewhere. I'm trying to go somewhere. There's a difference between ownership and authority. Right? There's a difference between ownership and authority. The Bible says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's ownership. Right? The Bible said in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. That's ownership, right? That's God's ownership. And so that usually is never in question. We never question God's ownership. But then God comes in Genesis and he says this He said, Let us make man in my own likeness and in my image. And he takes man and he makes Adam and he creates Adam. He puts Adam uh, in the earth. And he gives Adam dominion over the earth. What has he done? He's given Adam authority over the earth. Now that's not, that's not ownership. That's dominion, right? Because God owns it. Adam is just responsible for stewarding it, right? And so he gives him dominion. He gives him dominion. Now, it's interesting. There's an interesting passage in the book of Luke chapter 3. And it goes through the genealogy of Jesus. And it says something interesting. It starts with the genealogy of Jesus and ends with Adam. But it says this, when it starts with Jesus, it says Jesus, uh, the Son of God, which really translated uh, Jesus, God, the Son. He's God, the Son, right? He's fully God, the Son. But if you'll read in verse 38 of chapter 3, it says, when it says, and it, and it lists each genealogy, who their father was. I know you all love reading genealogies in the scripture. It's your favorite part. I know. There's a lot of good stuff in genealogies, if you didn't know, if you'll study it. But at the end, it says, Adam, the son of God. Isn't that interesting? It says, Adam, the son of God. Because Adam's father was nobody. It was God. God originated, created him, gave him authority. Adam, the son of God. And so that tells us two things. There are, there, you, are in, you, are either, uh, you are either after one or two. You're, you're either after Adam in the flesh, or you're after the second Adam in the spirit, which is Jesus. You're either in Christ and know him, or you're in Adam in the flesh, and you're in a place where you need redemption or salvation. You're either in Adam or you're either in, in, uh, in Christ. In other words, Adam messed it up, but it's going to take another Adam to fix it, right? How I many know Adam messed it up, but Jesus came, the second Adam, 
and he fixed it. Stay with me. I'm trying to go somewhere. If you want to know what Jesus gave us, if you want to know what Jesus did for us, all you have to do is read what the last Adam lost, then you'll know what the second Adam had gained. Y'all hearing me? All you got to know is if you want to know how Jesus redeemed us, he not only brought us salvation, but he also redeemed. If you want to know what we've gained through Christ, just read what Adam had lost. And what Adam had lost, we had gained through Christ and Christ Jesus as a part of redemption. Now listen, redemption was not only just salvation, which is the primary thing. It's the primary thing, salvation, that's primary but also he gave us authority in the earth. He didn't just give us salvation, which is our, our salvation, but he also gave us authority to walk in the earth. He gave us authority to live in victory. He gave us freedom, the ability to walk in freedom. That's what our freedom class was about. That's what I preached for several weeks was about freedom. And you can be saved but not have any authority. Help me tonight. Y'all quiet tonight. You can be saved but have no victory in your life. You can be saved and not have the authority to pray for somebody with a headache. You can be saved and not be free and be bound up, but you're going to heaven, but you, 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 you don't have any authority. And I'm telling you, the key to gaining authority and walking in authority is are you, are you spending time with God every day? Because authority comes through the relationship with Christ. And when you spend time in prayer and spend time in relationship, there's an authority that comes on our life. Adam was a physical expression of his heavenly father. The Bible says that everything that is seen was in Christ, everything that was seen, everything that is seen uh, is made by everything that is unseen. Everything seen is temporary, and everything unseen is eternal. That's what the scripture tells us. I just gave you an overview. Romans 1.20 tells us that, we, that, that everything that is unseen uh, uh, is eternal. Everything that is seen is temporary. But though we, though we cannot see that which is invisible, we know that it's there. We know that it exists. Because everything that exists in the natural has come out of the unseen. The spiritual world whirls around us all the time. The real world, the invisible. And so uh, uh, the invisible is around us. But we know that it's there even though our eye, natural eyes cannot see it. We know that it's there. There is a world that, that, that doesn't change but, we, but comes out of it. This world, which is a world that is temporary... And subject to change. In other words, what does it tell us? What does Romans 1.20 tell us? That there is a spiritual world that is the parent world. But we have the natural world, which is a manifestation out of the spiritual world. In other words, everything that exists was made by Christ, was made by him and for him. And so everything on the earth he made really Creation was made to be ruled by heaven all the time. But the fall of man separated the earth from heaven and God. The law of sin and nature separated us. And so, and so we live in this world. And so Adam was put in the garden. Genesis tells us that God made Adam. 
and he gave him charge over uh, all dominion. And it says that he gave him dominion. And in the garden he had dominion. But when he sinned, he lost it all. He lost his glory. And so when he sinned and uh, he lost his glory, uh, all of a sudden now he recognized he was naked. The glory of God lifted off of him. Right? Think about this for a moment. That's why I think in Romans it says this, that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why? Because what did Adam lose? He lost the glory of God. I believe that's what covered his nakedness. They realized that they were naked and, and, and shame came when they lost the glory of God. And so they lost the glory of God. And so part of redemption, now Adam is living in a world. Now think about this. God gave Adam the authority to name all the animals. Think about that for a moment. That's pretty wild, isn't it? I mean, he, they, they, he named all the animals. He named uh, uh, all those animals in creation. And Adam was created on the sixth day. And we know the animals were created. I, I often thought to myself, what did those animals think before Adam called them what they were? Right? Think about it for a moment. I mean, that just entered my head. That's just extra. I, just thinking about that. I mean, he's an, there's an animal. There's a horse, but he's not a horse yet. He's just an animal. He has no name. He has no purpose. He has no identity until Adam called him what he was called to be. Right? Did a lion look at a sheep and go, hey, am I supposed to eat you? Or are we friends or what? Right? I mean, I, just, just a thought. So Adam, Adam he, he named all of creation. And, uh, but here's what happened. When he sinned, all of a sudden, in other words, when Adam lived in the garden under authority and dominion, he ruled by what he said, by what he spoke. Y'all hearing me? His words were his authority. Now the Bible tells us this, that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Is that not right? Adam ruled the earth before he sinned by his words. After he sinned, he had to go to work, right? And he had to start working, right? And he no longer, now he spoke to a world that did not respond to him. After he sinned, he could speak all he wanted, but the earth did not respond to him. Why? He lost all of his authority. What did Jesus, the second Adam, do? He restored the authority that Adam had, and he had given it to us in the church. And so that's why life and death is in the power of the tongue. When we pray, y'all hearing me, listen, when we pray, we are praying in authority. By our words, we are praying. We are speaking authority. And so prayer gives us a power and authority that God has given us that Adam had lost. And so when Adam was cursed, he had to work the ground. He was living in a world he could no longer speak to. You say, well, give me scripture for that. I'm glad you asked. I thought you were never going to ask me. Romans 8 tells us, for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. And it says, for the creation was subject to fertility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In other words, what is he saying there? What is Paul saying in Romans? 
Paul was saying this in Romans. Paul was saying the creation now is looking for somebody, is looking for the sons of God to stand up and be manifested, to walk in authority. The Bible said, for they had been subjected to fertility or to, uh, uh, some translations may say vanity. In other words, creation was lost when Adam was sinned. Creation is yearning for the authority of God's people to stand up and take dominion over the earth. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? That's right. So what is the outflow of that? Because sin is in the earth and creation has no one to govern it. That's why we have, now y'all don't think I'm weird. I'm just telling you. That's why I believe we have hurricanes and winds that don't know when to stop blowing. Because nobody governs the earth. That's why we have floods that overflow their boundaries and do the damage that they do. Why? Because there's no dominion on the earth. Nobody is. Listen, God is waiting for the sons of God to rise up and have authority and take authority in the earth. Because creation now has no governor. Creation doesn't have any governor. You say, well, isn't God in control? Yes, God is in control. But I would not say God's in control. I would say God is sovereign and God is providential. Because God gave the earth to man to rule over took his hands off of it, and gave dominion to man. And it's not that God's not in control. And, and that's why we say, we say things like this. Uh, uh, a hurricane happens or, or, or uh, some type of a storm happens, and people will claim it on their insurance company, and, they, and what do they call it? They call it an act of God. That's not an act of God. Because God doesn't cause tornadoes to hit small cities in Oklahoma and wipe out Wipe out subdivisions. That's not God. Because that would say that God is in control. What does that do? That puts evil on God. That says, no, God gave the world. The world that we live in now is not the world God gave to Adam. Adam lost it. But because God loves man and gives man free will, God will never violate the free will of man. We have today what we have because men have chosen to live certain ways and do certain things. It doesn't mean that God's not in control. It means that God is sovereign and he's providential. What does that mean? That means that man makes choices, but God makes a move. God may do this, but God will do that. God doesn't violate the free will of man, but what God will do is he'll move circumstances and life around so that his providence and his will can be done in the earth. And man still has his free will. Free will is the greatest expression of love because in order for God to be loved, he had to give man the free will to choose him to love him. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? Love is a free will. It's an act of free will. And those who don't love God choose not to love God. And it's not a matter of God not being in control. God is sovereign. He is in control over the big picture, but he allows man to rule. And I, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying through the power of prayer, the church again can receive the authority that God can give the church that we can speak life out of our prayers, life out of our words. We can walk in victory, walk in dominion, and walk in victory and know that God can handle anything we walk through. I wish, I know I'm not communicating this the way that it's on the inside of me, but I'm here to tell you the bottom line is God's in charge. And God can do the impossible. 
But we always look through a church filter. When Jesus comes and he's preaching all about the kingdom, Jesus sees a cluster of grapes and he says, the kingdom of God is like. He sees sheep and goat and he says, the kingdom of God is like. He sees a fig tree, the kingdom of God is like. He sees a lost son, he tells the parable of the lost son and says, the kingdom of God is like. What's he doing? He's teaching us how to live in a world. He's teaching us how. He said, the kingdom of God. He said, here's a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like. In other words, he's trying to teach us not to live through a religious filter, but to live through the kingdom and, and to know the message of the kingdom. There is a message in the kingdom. And there's a difference between the kingdom of heaven, the place, and God's kingdom, which is his extended rule. Now, this is where I want to get to tonight, and this is, this is where I'm going to finish up, I promise you. And uh, this is where I wanted to go. How should we pray? How should we, in other words, when Jesus said, when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, uh, what am I to be doing? How do I, how do I pray? How do I walk in authority? How do, I, how do I bring the kingdom from heaven to this earth? How do, I, how do I pray with authority? How do I walk in that authority? And you know, sometimes through the church filter, people have made this thing, and, and, I, and I've just, I thought to myself, I am not going to hide behind stained glass windows and beg for God to come and rescue me out of a world that I cannot change. But that's what a lot of the church does. We live in a world that's, or a, a theology that's called escapism. In other words, all we do is sit back and let the world have its way, and we wait for Jesus to come to take us out of it. But I'm here to tell you that God is looking for a remnant of people who will not just wait and want to escape, but who will want to live in victory and allow God to give the authority to walk in the authority that he has promised us as a church. And so... How do we obtain it? How do we do it? I believe there's one word that, that explains it, and then I'm, I, we're going to close and pray. Jesus said this. He said, he said, I want you to occupy till I come. That's what he said. He gives us the instruction to occupy till I come. Now, here's what the word means. The word occupy in the Greek means to be busy with or to carry on the affairs or to be a representative or an extension of, in other words, to carry on a deed that has already been done or accomplished, to, uh, an accomplishment either in matter, work, or thing. So in other words, to occupy, it means that we are to carry on the affairs of things that have already been done or accomplished. That's what it means to occupy. So Jesus says that we are to occupy till he comes. That we are to, to, to occupy. Now, here's, here, this is what's interesting. The Bible tells us when we pray, and we're to do spiritual warfare. Is that right? We're to pray and do spiritual warfare. And when we pray, some people think spiritual warfare is, is, is winning something. You don't pray in spiritual warfare to win. You don't pray to win. You don't pray from the standpoint to pray in order to win in spiritual warfare. 
We pray to occupy. Now here's the difference. We pray in spiritual warfare not to win. Why? Because the victory has already been won. We don't pray to win. How arrogant it is is us for us to think that we can pray and add to the blood of Jesus. How arrogant is us for us to pray and think that by our prayers we can add more victory to what Jesus has already done on the cross. So the prayer of spiritual warfare and a part of prayer when you pray to occupy, you are praying to occupy the promises of all the promises that are in the 66 books of the Word of God. When you occupy, you are occupying to maintain every promise that is in this book. You hear what I'm saying? We don't pray to win. We've already won. (laughs) Does anybody feel the blood of Jesus? You have victory in Christ? Are you hearing what I'm saying? You don't have to fight. The fight is over. It's already fixed. But we do spiritual warfare and pray to occupy so that we obtain and walk in the promises that have already been made to us. What are we doing? We're carrying on the affairs of the things that have already been accomplished by the cross. Woo! That's why we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Why? Because Jesus has already paid the price for our healing. We just got to occupy the promise. (laughs) I could run right now. That is so good. Whoo! You can't increase on the blood. You can't increase on the blood. Warfare is not to win, but the warfare is to occupy. It's to occupy what God has already given us. The promises he's already, the deeds that he's already done. In other words, we entered warfare. We enter warfare. We pray. So listen. So how does that affect our prayer? We pray from a posture of victory. We don't pray to get victory. We pray from the posture of victory. So we pray to God, God, help me occupy your promises that I may walk in victory in this situation that you have already paid the price for. You say, well, prove it in the Word of God. I'm glad you asked. I never thought you would ask me. Philippians 4, verse 6. This is your Occupy Scripture. Are you ready? Put your seatbelt on because I know some of you. It's going to throw you out. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Remember, we talked about heavy hearts. We go to in prayer, anxious, our, hearts, our hearts are soothed, our hearts are mended. You know, anxiety is lifted. In other words, be not anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Now listen, I want you to see something. With thanksgiving... Let your requests be known, be made known unto God, right? With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now you're going to get it in a second. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Let me show you. Ken, thank you. What do you, how do you know what I'm asking you thanks for? I don't. You don't. I just said thank you. 
It doesn't mean anything to you, right? Not really. No, it doesn't, right? Hand that to me. Thank you. Now, what did I just do? I gave thanks for an exchange of something that has already happened, right? My thanksgiving, gratitude, does not come out of something that's not happened. Thanksgiving to the Lord doesn't come out of our hoping that he will do something. The word thanksgiving there means to walk with gratitude. You can't have gratitude until you have something to be grateful for, right? Y'all hearing me? You can't walk in thanksgiving unless you have something to be thankful for. So when we make our petitions known to God, we come to God, be not anxious in all prayer and supplication, giving thanks. That's your spiritual warfare. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. When you give thanks, you acknowledge the fact that Jesus on the cross paid the price for your petition and for your request and when you acknowledge that there has already been an exchange and now you don't, you're not praying for victory, you're praying from victory are you all hearing me? and so it says and then the peace of God will come upon you oh Why is prayer important? Prayer is important because prayer is the avenue by which we take dominion over what Adam had lost and what Jesus has given us the authority for. We pray because we have an authority. Prayer, our prayers. Listen, we don't pray to beg God. We don't pray prayers of begging God, but we pray prayers of occupation. In other words, if I was praying for protection right now, I wouldn't be praying going, oh, God, will you protect me? God, please, just please, just protect me. Oh, it's been so bad, God. Right? I'm not begging God. But my place of occupation allows me to pray like this. God, your word says that, you're, that you are a strong tower, and those who trust in you can run to it and be safe. What am I doing? I am occupying a promise that God has given us in the word of God. And I'm living out that occupation and I'm standing in that occupied space and saying I'm protected because Jesus already paid the price for me to be protected. Woo! That's how you pray. That's how you pray. That's not wishful thinking. That's fact, Jack. That's a fact. That's a fact. That is a fact. Because the truth is, the Bible said, from the foundation of the world, God has put eternity in the hearts of every man. God has put destiny in the hearts of every man. And you say, uh, people say, well, when you get up and you pray for someone that's lost and you start prophesying stuff about their life, you, I want to tell you something, you're occupying. People say, well, you're misled. What if they never get saved? No, from the foundation of the world, they were known before they were born. He put destiny in them before they even showed up on this earth. I know that those that are out there that are lost and doesn't know Jesus, they have a destiny. They have a promise. They have a purpose. And God has already paid it for them. It's a matter that we just occupy that place and pray them into the kingdom of God. Woo! Hallelujah. Woo! 
Adam, if you'll come. What did Jesus say to Moses at the burning bush? Jesus said to Moses, he said, I have already given you the land that flows with milk and honey. And all did Moses, what did Moses have to do? He had to go occupy what he had been promised. I stood before you a few weeks ago, and I said in 2020, we've got to occupy, we've got to possess the land that God has given us. We have to go into the land. We have to be willing to go into the land, as it says in Deuteronomy that I preached out of a few weeks ago. Here's what happens. When we do occupy, when we do walk into the promises of God, Guess what happens? The kingdom of God is extended. His rule is extended. And we walk in authority. We walk in the authority that God has given us. Y'all know we were in Iraq. I think, what was it? It was the Iraqi war. We were in the war with Iraq for 10 years, right? I think it was 10 years we had our soldiers there. But y'all know the war was over in three days. Y'all remember when they gone in? And uh, I'll never forget Baghdad Bob. Y'all know who Baghdad Bob is? Baghdad Bob reminds me of the devil. Because Baghdad Bob would get on TV, and he was, a, he was that, he was that uh, 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 chief of staff for Saddam Hussein. And I don't know if y'all remember, Baghdad Bob would get on, and he would make this announcement to the whole world. He'd say... We are destroying the Americans. They're being slaughtered all over the place. Their sons and daughters are dying and we're killing them as they come across the border. They're being slaughtered by, by, by missiles and, and, and all whatever he would say. And then they would change over and say, well, here's what's really happening. The American troops are pushing into Baghdad and they are unstoppable. But that's just like the devil. The devil just gets up and says whatever he wants to say, tells you whatever lie he wants to tell you, but it's not the reality. The reality is that Jesus already paid the price. Victory is already for you. Don't listen to the lie of Baghdad devil. Right? But I remember watching. Y'all remember this. I don't know if y'all remember this or not. I'm watching. Baghdad Bob is giving the, he's like, Some of the American forces had made it to the outer skirts of Baghdad. And we as Iraqis, we are destroying them. They're in fire. Their tanks are being overturned. And as he is saying that, in comes down the street, turns an American tank coming straight at him with like 40 soldiers coming up the street. And Baghdad Bob is making this announcement that the Americans are being destroyed. He turns and looks and sees them coming. And he eyes in total fear, runs. I don't know if y'all remember that or not. You might be able to Google that. Baghdad Bob. But we won the war in three days, but we occupied ten years. War's already over. Occupying is just stepping into the promises of what God has given us Because I believe one day Jesus is coming back and this thing's going to wrap up. And I believe there's going to be a resurrection of the believer. 
there's going to be a rapture of the church and we're out of here. And uh, the rest of the world can figure it out when we're gone. But the truth is, until he comes, we occupy. Stand with me tonight if you would. Why do we pray? We pray to occupy. What is the posture of prayer? The posture of prayer is to pray from victory, not for victory. The posture of prayer is to pray for the position of occupying. The posture of prayer is to come into prayer knowing that you have already been given authority. We just have to walk in that authority that God has given us. What Adam lost, Jesus gained. And so the question is, am I spending time in God's word daily? Am I spending time with God daily? Am I spending time in prayer? Am I spending time in devotion? What does that do that builds your faith? It sets your faith on fire. Prayer sets your faith on fire. Are you spending time in God's word? That, that builds your faith. Worship strengthens your faith. So just lift your hands to the Lord tonight and let's just pray that God will give us the power to occupy. That we will be able to occupy everything and have authority. Wherever he tells us to go, that we'll walk in authority. We won't walk. We'll walk in his authority. So Lord, we just pray that you teach us to occupy. Lord, you teach us to be about the affairs of the one who has already come and accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished. That we pick up, we pick up, we pick up where he has left off and we walk in his footsteps and we walk and go where he says go. Give us the authority in prayer, God, for the assignment. Nehemiah is praying and as he is praying, there's an authority that is coming on him because, God, you're going to release him to go back to help rebuild the walls that have been destroyed. God, we pray you help us occupy to come down and rebuild the walls of America that has been destroyed in the fabric of this nation that has been destroyed. We are praying to occupy so that we can again rebuild the walls of strength for a nation that is tumbled over by the enemy. That God, we can set the gates back where they should be. We can build the walls back as they should be, even better. Rebuild the family. Rebuild holiness and purity and righteousness in a nation. We live in a nation that has gone mad, absolutely mad. But we serve a God who teaches us to occupy. Send men to Washington that will walk in and occupy and take authority where there needs to be authority. Help us to walk into our schools and walk in authority in our lives that we may occupy. Help us to occupy our homes and our families and our lives, Lord God. Help us to do the business of the Father, to pray, to seek God, to fall on our faces and not move until God speaks to us, until we get an answer from God. Like Nehemiah, let us call upon a sovereign God with humility and say, God, touch us and lead us. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.